From high atop Rocky Road in Moab, Utah, it's KZMU News. I'm Molly Marcello. It's Friday, April 29th. An anti-camping ordinance in Grand County was meant mostly to stop homeowners from renting out their yards and parking lots to tourists. But so far, it's impacted some of the town's most vulnerable and needed residents. The county is kicking river guides off private land long used as a workers' camp. Justin Higginbottom reports. In the last 10 years or so, Michael Grindstaff has seen his former homes in Moab disappear. I had an apartment above what was the Sergeant Peppers. There's a record store that's long gone now that was in the Eddie McStiff's Plaza. And I lived in a mobile home behind Action Shots, and that's gone now. It's the parking lot now. I lived in a mobile home that was over off Holyoke that's now been removed, and a larger home has been built there. Now he has a 16-foot trailer parked on a remote parcel towards the wetlands, across from a wastewater treatment plant. It's the owner of Navtech Expeditions property. And Grindstaff is on the verge of losing this spot, too. What people fail to realize is that well, things may not be perfect, but better is better and better is good. So this is better than the consequence of us being evicted. Guides have long camped on the property for free. There's around 16 people living here now. This afternoon, most are either in town or on the river. Some are resting in their cars. The county has told the owner of the property that he's in violation of an anti-camping ordinance. That law prevents camping on private property if someone makes a complaint. And the county says that's what's happened. It's, I struggle to understand how people would choose to evict 17 people from the place that they live because they don't want to look at them when they go on a walk. Grindstaff has been working as an informal groundskeeper here for the last six months. We've got our toilet now. We've got lots of people. And then we have, this is our water tank right there in the back of that pickup truck. Has 120 gallons in there. And He says if workers have to leave, many will go camp on public or national forest lands. Call it the roaming bands of service workers or whatever. And the primary issue with that is that those areas that are convenient and free to, to stay at. Well, first of all, you have to move every 14 days, but also you either have to leave your stuff there when you go to work at super early in the morning, or you have to fight with tourists every single day in order to get that campsite. And there's another issue. Right now, if I had to poop in the next like 20, 30 seconds, like where would you go? And if you do that, no matter where you are at any of these campsites, there's tons of piles of turds wherever that is. They have a toilet here and access to a shower. This is Paul Clark and Elijah Stephan's first season. If they have to leave, they'll probably head to the mountains, at least a 30-minute drive from town. The LaSalle's. Yeah. And yeah, we'd be I don't want a car either, car so I'll be riding my bike in from the LaSalle's. If, yeah. uh, if you didn't have like an easy living situation like this before you got the job, would, would you have taken the job or would have that have, uh, you know, would you have decided on something else? Probably not. I would. I would have worked in Colorado. It was definitely like a perk. Yeah. You know. Hey, we've got a, we've got a property. You can pitch a tent on a mile away from work. The anti-camping ordinance isn't unique. Lots of places have it in the West. And Grand County Attorney Christina Sloan gave a couple reasons why her county needed the law. One reason was to prevent people from renting out their yards and driveways. But another was to target homeless residents. She says for their own health and safety. Last year, Provo used an anti-camping ordinance to remove its growing homeless population. Although Sloan noted in a commission meeting on January 5th of last year. We never evict anyone unless there's a place for them to go and unless they have resources and help. 
Some commissioners did see how the ordinance might impact the area's critical workforce, but those that supported the law didn't think it would be likely. Sloan again. You know, this is complaint driven and it, um, it'll be useful in the context of, you know, folks that become a nuisance. And in the county, I think you do see different issues in the city and the county. And so these low impact dirt bag van lifers, um, that, those are not the complaints I'm getting from county residents. The complaints I get from county residents are mostly RVs, generators, multiple RVs, and toys that come with them. Brian Martinez is the general manager at Navtech. We're sitting outside the company's office. He's been here since 05. It's tough. You know, the, you know I've been here. I, I came here in a, 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 on a bicycle with a tent. You know, and I lived at Lionsback, which is now the, you know, the big development that's happening there. That used to be a campground. You know, and then they, they kicked us all out of there and they closed that all down. And then right there where you see that a hotel right over there, you know, that used to be the hideout. And all the guides used to live over there. And then they sold that property and kicked us out. And then we all lived behind Tagalong for quite a while. That opportunity for cheap or even free housing, something to help a worker get their bearings, is disappearing. But all these little hidey holes that, you know, the seasonal workers, you know, have had, they're, they're gone. You know, they're just, they're not here anymore. There's a labor shortage in Moab, and Martinez says that applies to river guiding. He thinks losing this housing option will impact Navtech's ability to hire guides. This season, he counted seven rentals in town. You know, some of our employees even went and tried to get, at those, to, get to those rentals, and they wouldn't even allow, I mean, they're not even looking at multifamily type of situations. So it takes a while to find that. And while they're trying to look for that stuff, it's nice that we had a spot that they could go and, and camp at and stay in the meantime. The camping area also provided a level of safety for workers. Last summer, Crystal Turner and Kylan Schulte were murdered in the LaSalle's. They were working in town and camping in their van, just like Navtech employees may be forced to do. Their murders remain unsolved. And, you know, the, the fact that they would be camping down by their workers, you know, co-workers and people they knew, that may, it gave them some sense of safety. You know, like, oh, okay, I'm going to be camping with all these people that I know. And, uh, he says one woman who had worked with Navtech decided to not come back this season because she didn't feel comfortable camping in the mountains. He says he doesn't blame her. About 10 Navtech campers showed up to a recent Grand County Zoning and Planning Committee meeting. They made up most of the participants that day. Well, we're we're here because we are being evicted. We're all losing our housing um, and losing access to a toilet, regular toilet that we have service paid by Navtech. Um, and the eviction order, I think. I think creates harm, not just to us as individuals, but also the community in numerous ways. That's Grindstaff again. The county officials quibbled with his use of the word eviction. They weren't evicting him and his friends, they said. They were only following the law, which says those campers aren't legal residents. And they would find the property owner if he didn't evict them. So I would, I would, like we were talking about this word eviction and you say that it's not a legal resident. That kind of makes me feel like I'm not like legally existing. You know, because I want to be treated like a person who actually lives there, not to do this wordage runaround and to say that it's not an eviction, because it is an eviction, because I have to acquire new housing. Well, let's act like humans as a government. Why aren't we doing that? It seems like everyone at the meeting doesn't want to see the camp disbanded. 
So there's frustration by Grindstaff and others as to why it's still happening. I'm, I'm glad that we're working towards this, but I really think that what would have been much better is a letter that said, we're working on bringing you into compliance instead of GTFO, you know, to homeless people with no money, people who hadn't gotten even a first paycheck from their job and they're supposed to go find a house in Moab, you know? That's, that's pure insanity and that's a government not even treating us like human beings. By the end of the meeting, Grindstaff says he felt a little better about the situation. At least there are faces now to put with the law. Josie Kovash was on the planning commission when the ordinance was clarified. She's now a county commissioner. She says she was against the law basically because of this very situation. We definitely have people who, you know, by choice, live, choose to live in a tent or a vehicle. I certainly did for a period of time. Um, I did in Colorado while I was a river guide. That is pretty typical that you don't want to pay rent for a room when you're just on the river every day and kind of live in the outdoor lifestyle. Uh, and I think we should accommodate that and not necessarily kind of push it to the far reaches of the county. She says this reminds her of past controversy over owning chickens in town. It was illegal, yet Moab's mayor had a flock. The reality was is almost everybody who could or wanted to already had chickens. So there needed to be a mechanism to just legitimize that. And, and I, I kind of see this in a similar light, like sometimes it just takes you know, that one like flashpoint example uh, that really uh, activates people to go, oh, right, this is a really big issue and this isn't going to go away just because we make it illegal. She says sometimes the laws need to catch up to where the community is at. Obviously, Moab's in a tough place right now and everybody's going to feel the effects of it if we don't um, really work towards some solutions. It's just going to continue to get worse. Officials are floating solutions, construction of worker housing and possible car camping permits in town for residents. Crested Butte in Colorado is facing a similar housing crisis. They passed a temporary ordinance that allowed camping on residential property. But so far, fixes for Moab are moving at the speed of government. Meanwhile, NAPTEC campers need to be out by June 30th. Justin Higginbottom for KZMU News. And now we head to the weekly newsreel to check in with reporters on their latest stories of the Moab area. More parking on local downtown roads is on the way. Sophia Fisher from the Times Independent has more from their coverage. So for folks who may have been, you know, driving in Moab downtown over the past couple days, you've seen that 100 East in between Center Street and 100 North is currently cordoned off. Uh, there are crews installing a demonstration area for a new dispersed parking system that's going to come into place in about 10 blocks around Moab's downtown later this year. Okay, so dispersed parking is happening for those of us who might need a little memory jog. Tell us why this is happening. Sure. This is actually coming in place of a proposed parking garage, which listeners may remember from a couple years ago. Uh, we got $10 million from the Utah Department of Transportation to put this up, but then Moab City Council actually ended up splitting on the issue and, and nixing the parking garage after they learned that the uh, Highway 191 North widening project would reduce on-street parking in that area. So ultimately, the goal is to increase parking, and this is supposed to have the result of increasing the number of spaces from 150 50 to 200 in the redone area. 
remind us what streets this is going to happen on. I know there's the demonstration street, but then eventually um, there's other streets that will have permanent dispersed parking. Yes. And uh, Lisa Church, spokesperson for the city, said that those other blocks should be done sometime, I think, in late fall, early winter. Uh, The blocks, you can get a full map on the Times Independent from this week or on the Moab City website, but it's portions of 200 North, 100 North, Center Street, 100 South, and 100 East. Good job. (laughs) Okay, so you said work began um, this week on a demonstration block on 100 East between Center Street and 100 North. What is it going to look like? It's going to be angled parking in the middle of the street with traffic going on both sides. I believe that's one-way traffic on each side. So, you know, driving, it's the somewhat similar system that's already in place in front of the city center and the Grand County Public Library. Anything else to mention about parking changes in Moab? Yes, uh, there will be public outreach meetings held about this in May and June. I think May is just for local business owners who are impacted, and then June is community-wide and Members of the public are definitely encouraged to attend the appropriate meeting or meetings and voice their concerns or their thoughts. Okay. Moving on, um, I know the Times Independent has um, a piece about van life. Yeah, so van life, and, and by van life, I mean more broadly folks living in vehicles. So that can range anywhere from tourists who are coming through town in sprinter vans to folks who are working remote jobs to people who live and or work here locally and maybe can't find a place to live in town. Many different user groups living out of vehicles. Um, And the Grand County Planning Commission and the county more broadly are starting to look at how to regulate these different uses, citing, you know, increased impacts at Swanee and Rotary Parks and at the public library and let alone in the desert, city streets, all all over the Mm -hmm. place, really, as vehicle living kind of proliferates. Uh, So right now, the Planning Commission is really just in brainstorming phases. They floated the idea of some sort of parking pass system where um, if you live in town or you can show a pay stub from a local employer, you'd get like a sticker on your car. Mm-hmm. Um, and then coupling that with increased enforcement um, of parking regulation. So ensuring that visitors or tourists aren't like camping out at public parts for like days, mm. let alone maybe weeks on end. This is coming in the wake of the news that a group of guides who were camping in their vehicles on private land in the county would be evicted at the end of June because this violated the county's camping ordinance. There is no mechanism currently to allow those guides to stay there. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I've seen some statistics from Grand County and complaints around some sort of illegal kind of camping situation constituted about a quarter of total overall code complaints Mm -hmm. this year alone. Um, I I spoke with uh, Planning Commission Chair Emily Campbell, and she mentioned that some employers are trying to find alternate living situations for their employees and really want to be in compliance. Um, But right now, it's, it's kind of challenging to do that with the existing land use codes. They're also looking at creating some sort of like workforce-specific campground designation, which Mm. could potentially create a way for for such encampments to be in compliance in the future. So the county is actively working now in the wake of that to figure out a solution to not evict locals who are living in their vehicles. Um, You know, Crested Butte has done something similar. Um, Mm. They have a temporary camping permit that you can get as long as you have um, proof that you work locally. You can get a permit for free and camp in your car in residential zones, you know, through the season. So it sounds like that might be something similar that Grand County is looking at. Is that right? Yes. Okay. That is similar. Anything anything else to mention about your piece? Uh, Just that Emily Campbell had a good quote saying that, you know, such a tool could stem the bleeding, referring to the 
the housing crisis. Right. It could give us a tool, she said. So there's definitely widespread acknowledgement that this is not a long-term solution to the housing crisis, but hopefully something that the county could act on more nimbly just to yeah stem the bleeding a little bit. And finally, you want to mention um, a brief about the community artist in the parks. Yeah, so I got to write a feature this week about Sam Metzner, who is this year's Community Artist in the Park. Uh, the Community Artist in the Park program was created by the National Park Service about 13, 13 years ago. Basically, every year there is a local volunteer artist who is tasked with creating art publicly and liaising with the public in the Southeast Utah group mm. of parks, which is Canyonlands, Arches, Hoven Weep, and Natural Bridges um, throughout the season. So Sam Metzner, she's really cool. She also teaches yoga in the community and her art is a mix of cyanotype printing, which is a form of contact manual photography mixed with watercolors. So to get more information about Metzner's background and kind of her process for creating art, pick up a copy of this week's Times Independent. Cyanotype is so cool. So she takes these photographs, she develops them as cyanotype uh, prints, and then she, you know, messes around with them with watercolor. Yeah, and it creates these really cool blueprints. It kind of reminded Uh me, honestly, of... You'll see like, you know, Castleton or something like that, uh-huh. like in this blue kind of like ethereal shade. And it reminded mm. me of the fact that Moab was once underwater mm. at the bottom of a sea. It didn't necessarily look like this, yeah. but they're very cool and kind of mystical looking. And it's a very old type of photography. So yeah. actually, if you think about those really blue photographs from the 1800s, mm-hmm. that was likely cyanotype printing. Very neat that that's happening in the park right now. Yeah. So and her schedule's online. So if you Google her a little bit, I'm sure you can find where she'll be and when. Sophia Fisher, staff writer at the Times Independent. Subscription info and more stories can be found at moabtimes.com. An annual festival celebrating Scottish culture will not be held downtown this year after noise complaints. Alison Herford with the Moab Sun News has more. So Scots on the Rocks is this annual festival um, celebrating Scottish culture basically Mm. they have like bagpipes and sporting competitions um and it's usually held in the fall and for the past couple years it's been held at the old spanish trail arena but last year for the first time it moved to the center street ballparks um right in the middle of town and so the new location increased local attendance anyone who is downtown could see it and Mm. hear it Um, which is kind of where the issue arose. So during the festival, there was this loud bagpipe music um, that was audible throughout downtown. And that ended up causing a number of resident complaints. Yeah, right. The loud bagpipes. Right. Drumming. I think that's like yeah. central to the Drumming, festival. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This These complaints were brought before the city council because they were being asked to um, approve or deny a permit for Scots on the Rocks for having their 2022 event at the ballparks. Um, but ultimately, the council denied the permit because of the noise complaints, and it kind of sparked this debate among council members about which events they could or should deny due to noise. Mm-hmm. And so this came up, and it was pretty interesting. Um, there were two citizens who came to the meeting to express their thoughts that the event shouldn't be at the ballparks. Um, And one who said that she lives down there said that, first of all, the parks have failing infrastructure, or so Mm -hmm. she believes. And she said adding another event there without strict management would be a mistake. Um, And then she also said that she's been feeling really disconnected from City Hall. She said 
quote, we have reached a point where the connection between government and local people is so weak that citizens have taken it upon themselves to buy and distribute their own noise regulation signs for neighborhood streets. Mm. A reference to the, you know, we support quiet streets. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so this Scots on the Rocks permit became this much larger debate about um, how noise is being handled in Moab Mm -hmm. and what city council is doing about it. And it's also interesting because another layer of this is that the state legislature is also trying to moderate how much regulation municipalities can have over noise. There was just a bill in March that basically said that municipalities cannot enforce regulations with ATVs. Mm -hmm. And so now the city and the county are getting sued. Um, And so It's like noise is this really hot button issue in Moab. And so now it's come up with Scots on the Rocks. It's also reminding me, too, of the pickleball debate. Right. And the pickleball debate, which was also, yeah, the city council Mm -hmm. also denied pickleball courts being built at Old City Park because the main complaint was the potential for noise. Right. Um, You know, what was the city council's reasoning when denying this permit for Scots and the Rocks? Because, you know, there are other noise-making events that are held at the ballpark. Right. Yeah, so Councilmember Luke Wojciechowski said that the people who live on Center Street and near the ballparks are the ones in our community that are most affected by noise. Mm. Um... And he was kind of alluding to ATVs driving up and down that street and also the other events at the ballparks, including like when people go and play sports there, there's a lot of yelling and screaming. And so he said that despite there being other noisy events there, like the Moab Folk Festival is the biggest one, Mm. he pointed out that the bagpipe music is significantly different from the Moab Folk Festival because... This is it's the same song and the same sounds pl- being played for 12 hours straight. Mm-hmm. Um, he said that like that's a quote. That's a quote. Okay. Um, and then he also said, quote, once again, it is this part of our community that is being exposed to the most noise at a certain point. I think they need some respite from that. They've identified this event outside of ATV noise as the one that has the most significant disturbance to their quality of life. So he was against the event being at the ballparks, but council members Jason Taylor and Tawny Nudison Boyd ended up dissenting from the motion to deny the permit. So they wanted the event to be at the ballparks. Um, And Jason Taylor pointed out that the council shouldn't pick and choose what kind of noise is allowed at the ballparks. Mm. So he also said, you know, if we're going to deny Scots on the Rocks, we should probably think about denying the Mount Folk Festival. Mm. Um, And then council member Tawny Nudison Boyd agreed and said that she wasn't ready to say if we can have one kind of use and not another. It's hard, you know, what to do with our city parks, right? Right. You know, they are gathering spaces. Yeah, and we also don't have a master plan for parks that's in the works. Okay. Annie McVeigh um, is creating one, but there's, right now, there's no guideline um, for what we can do. It just kind of depends on council members' opinions. Sure. Okay, so there's no, like, guiding document that says, at Moab City Parks, we value X. And then you yeah. could say, okay, well, that fits in within that value. And right. so we should approve it or not approve it. Yeah. Yeah. And so legally, the city can deny events for a couple of reasons. Um, and so they said that this denial of the permit falls under the basis that the event presents significant or unacceptable adverse impacts to the community. Anything else to say on Scots on the Rocks, um, the city council's denial of the permit, or the sun's coverage? Yeah, so um, the motion to deny the permit passed three to two with 
Taylor and Nudison Boyd dissenting, um, and the event organizers were encouraged to look into hosting the event again at the Old Spanish Trail Arena. Moving on, there's something going on with agroforestry that yeah. the Moab Sun News wrote about this week. I think this is really cool. So there will be an agroforestry conference here um, from Tuesday, May 10th to Wednesday, May 11th. The price ranges from $35 to $100, depending on what participants register for. Agroforestry is a combination of agriculture and forestry practices Hmm. and it's kind of the incorporation of the two into each other and so there are three um, classifications of agroforestry. Um, one that includes trees with crops, one that includes trees with animals, and one that includes all three together. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the point of this is that each of these organisms can provide a mutually beneficial relationship to each other. And so I talked to Stephen Price, who's the chair of the Southwest Agroforestry Action Network, Um And he said that the group is trying to reach out to producers, ranchers, tribal members, community members, and all other stakeholders to increase adoption of these practices. And the big thing that he said is that this creates a more sustainable landscape. And it has a lot of benefits, like trees can reduce erosion in the landscape. Um, They also provide shade and windbreaks for animals. And for farmers, it diversifies income sources, um, like being able to plant an orchard in your chicken yard, which Hmm. is something that the Youth Garden Project does. Are there there local organizations that are partnering with this conference? Yes. The first day of the conference is full of really cool speakers from all over the place. Um, And then the second day focuses on local field tours. Um, So the day will kick off in Castle Valley with tours by landowners. Pam Hackley and Eric Segrist, who will both um, discuss how to establish a home-scale food forest and also how using trees and pasture can reestablish historical landscapes. Um, and then the group will travel to speak with the nonprofit Rim to Rim Restoration. And then they'll also talk to Rosalind McCann about the Bee Inspired Gardens Project. And the day will close out at the Youth Garden Project with a tour by Emily Roberson. Neat. And is this available to anybody? This is open to anybody. Um, There's no limit on how many people can sign up. And right now, um, Stephen Price said he expects about 30 people to come from every facet of agriculture and forestry. Allison Hartford, staff reporter at the Moab Sun News. Subscription info and more stories can be found at moabsunnews.com. And that's the weekly newsreel where we check in with reporters on their latest coverage of the Moab area. You can find the pieces that were mentioned today in the show notes at our website and wherever you listen to the KZMU News Podcast. Thanks for tuning in and supporting KZMU, community-powered radio.